Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. We're happy to be with you. Thanks for joining us. Yes. Wherever you're joining us from, all around the world, we have listeners. Amazing what technology affords these days. It is amazing. Do you remember growing up when you just lived in your town and that was like your whole world was that town? Yeah. And to like make a phone call to somebody who lived even 30 miles away was like a long distance phone call. That's true. The whole world is right at our fingertips now. It's, Pretty amazing. It is amazing. We are just back from an exciting event. One of our dear friends' sons, who was dear friends to our children growing up, right, got married last weekend in North Carolina, and we all went to the wedding. And what what a treat it was to see the next generation. This is one of the first weddings of our children's friends and of friends that you and I have, their children getting married. There have been a couple others we've been to, but there's something particularly special about this gathering. Our Two of our sons were in the wedding, mm -hmm. and our son Isaac and I, maybe, maybe our listeners don't know, Isaac and I, my 15-year-old son, he and I have been in a band for the last five years. We play uh, wineries and pubs and weddings, and we played the music at the wedding, and that was really fun. If anybody out there is getting married and you might want <laughs> a band, the West and West duo to play your wedding, uh, we might be able to do it. I don't know. Anyway, it was it was just a grace-filled time. It was. It was a real... It blessed me in a very deep way. Seeing, I think, seeing the Lord's hand in these two people's lives. But always that's the blessing of you know, the sacrament of marriage, yeah. somehow it really reached deep into my heart. And what a joy. We've known Justin, who was the groom. We've known him since he was four. Mm -hmm. To see him stand up there and enter into this beautiful sacrament and to celebrate with his parents who have been dear friends to ours. Uh, Lori and Gary, if you're out there listening, thank you. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. What a joy and blessing it was. Yeah. Do you have any updates about the TOB Institute for our listeners? Well, as usual, I just encourage you to check out our list of upcoming courses, both online and in person. We have uh, the Theology of the Body and the New Evangelization course. Something I love about that, and this is going to be an online course we're offering, something I love about this course is we put on our Theology of the Body glasses and we go through the catechism from start to finish, and the whole faith comes alive. We go through the creed, we go through the sacraments, we go through the moral life, we go through the life of prayer. These are the four pillars of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And one of the highlights of my teaching career is taking people through the Catechism with these Theology of the Body glasses, and in a particular way, when we get to the section on prayer, I have seen my students right in front of me enter into deep contemplative prayer, to have these real encounters with the Lord, and to, to be able to facilitate that and to demonstrate how John Paul's theology of the body, and here I'm quoting 
Mikhail Waldstein, who is a, a world-renowned scholar on the Pope's teaching as well, um, he says that the theology of the body is the John Pauline lens for reading the catechism. In other words, it's not just some subset of our faith. It's the pair of glasses we put on to understand the whole of our faith. I've been saying that for 30 years, and to, 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 to see it happen in real time with my students is quite a thrill. So check out uh, the links below to learn about all the courses we're offering and take a special look at that Theology of the Body in the New Evangelization class. Mm. You ready for a question from a patron? Okay, this is from a patron. Her name is Kim. Hello, Kim. My husband and I have an art sculpture in our bedroom of a naked couple in an intimate embrace. Our priest recently blessed every room in our home and noticed it. He seemed a bit troubled and asked me why we had it. I explained it was my mother's. She bought it on her honeymoon and thought it was a beautiful portrayal of spousal love. After hearing more and more about the beauty of the body, I asked her if I could have it. I was a bit taken aback by our priest's reaction. After explaining its history, I asked if he disagreed. He told us we should pray about it. And then he said, there's a difference between seeing God through sex and sex through God. I suppose I should have asked him to clarify, but I decided to ponder it a bit in prayer first. I would love to hear your thoughts. Kim, thank you so much for submitting this question. I think this comes down to different sensitivities, and I wouldn't let the sensitivity of this priest rob you of what seems to have been a, a very beautiful experience for you. I, I, I don't know what this work of art is. I, I, I don't have an image of it, um, but I'm, I'm guessing from all that you've shared that this is something tasteful and that your experience of this work of art is not stirring something pornographic in your mind, but stirring something holy and sacred in your mind and a reminder to you of the holiness of of marital love. Uh, John Paul II says, both in Love and Responsibility and, his, and in his Theology of the Body, that artists have a right to show the full truth of the love of man and woman in their art. And the key here is the full truth, right? And the truth is we are called, as male and female, to uphold the dignity of the human person. We are called as male and female to image the very life and love of the Trinity, and tasteful art can portray the naked body in such a way that that is communicated. John Paul II himself, uh, in the restoration project of the Sistine Chapel, ordered the removal of many of the loincloths that other popes had ordered to be painted over Michelangelo's original nudes. And then in the restoration uh, homily, where he was celebrating the restored Sistine Chapel, he described these nude paintings in the Sistine Chapel. He said, the Sistine Chapel is a shrine to the theology of the human body, because Michelangelo, in his own way, allowed himself to be guided by the evocative words of the book of Genesis, where we read that the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Uh, art can portray the naked human body and the love of a man and woman in such a way that the dignity is preserved, and what is stirred in the heart is not some lustful consideration, 
but a sacred consideration. Maybe this priest has his own hang-ups, his own fears, his own wounds that would lead him to see it in a different way. But here John Paul II would say no one should project his own hang-up on somebody else. In fact, to do so, John Paul has a term for it. He calls that the interpretation of suspicion, where we think there's only one way to look at a certain thing, and we project that onto everyone else. Now, I commend your priest there. He said, pray about it. You know, pray about it. So, pray about it. Mm. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't sense in anything, as far as you've presented it to us, that would lead me to be concerned. Mm -hmm. uh, I do want to add a comment here. He said, there's a difference between seeing, how did he, how did she yeah. say it? Seeing God through sex and seeing sex through God. Okay, I think I know what he's getting at here. Um, but let me add this straight out of the theology of the body. Uh, John Paul II says, the analogy of marital love works in two directions. What does this mean? It means that we, through coming to understand the holiness, the sacredness of marriage, and the two becoming one flesh, we do gain insight into the mystery of God. It's right there in Ephesians chapter 5. For this reason, the two become one flesh. What reason? This is a great mystery, Paul tells us, and it refers to Christ and the church. So yes, we, we can gain. This is the whole mystery of being created in the image of God as male and female. This is the whole mystery of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 to 32, which St. John Paul II says is a summa or compendium in some way of everything God wants to tell us about who he is and who we are and how we are to live and what our ultimate destiny is. So we can go in both directions. We have to be careful that we don't end up sexualizing God in an inappropriate way God is not sexual, right? The, the life of the Trinity is not a sexual reality. The life of the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit from all eternity, God is pure spirit, right? In time, 2,000 years ago, the second person of the Trinity took on flesh. So we can even say, in light of the incarnation, there is a male, right? The, the, the second person of the Trinity wed himself to human nature as a male, Right? So even there, we're not sexualizing God, we're recognizing the mystery of the Incarnation. But he does have a point, and this is the point. When we use marital love, marital union, as an analogy to understand the things of God, we have to recognize the infinite difference between the Creator and the creature. Right? In an analogy, we're zooming in on a certain similarity but this is part and parcel of Catholic theology. We have to be careful here. When we're zooming in on a certain similarity, we have to recognize there is an ever greater dissimilarity, right? Here's another thing straight out of the Catechism. In no way is God made in man's image. God is neither man nor woman. There is no place for the difference of the sexes within the life of God. Boom. Okay, that's the point that I think he's trying to make. But he's, there's some more qualification that is needed in his statement, because the spousal analogy does work in two directions. We can begin with the union of man and woman and gain knowledge of Christ's love for the church. And of course, Christ's love for the church 
shines a definitive light, says John Paul II, on the purpose and meaning of marriage. So with those important qualifications and clarifications, we can go in both directions, but we do so carefully and with recognition of the infinite distinctions and differences, even though there is a similarity that we're zooming in on in the spousal analogy. Mm. What are your thoughts, Wendy? Yeah, I, Kim, I thank you for sharing this story with us and with our listeners. Um, I, I think, as Christopher said, you know, there's kind of on the one side a, a beautiful call from your priest to pray about this um, artwork. But there's also, I think, there's a call now you have to pray for this priest, yeah. you know, as you yep. as you see his discomfort. We don't know where he is on his journey and his understanding of marital love. And um, so all of that is, is a good fruit being born. And I just want to pray for protection for you that the evil one wouldn't come into this scenario and cause um, like a, any kind of negativity in you or feelings of embarrassment or, or intimidation yes exactly or some rejection toward this priest all all of you you and your husband your mother your priest you're all beautiful human beings on this journey with the lord and i i pray that even this experience and your reflections on it would just take you deeper on that journey yeah, and I'll just add, I, I know that pain, because being a teacher of John Paul's vision for nearly 30 years, I, I run into it over and over and over again, where people are projecting their own fears and discomforts and maybe even hang-ups onto me or onto John Paul II. And it's, it can be very painful. And, and don't let other people's sensitivities or... or issues or hang-ups rob you of the freedom and the purity that you have discovered here. St. Paul says it so well, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the impure, he says, nothing is pure, right? Because they end up projecting their own impurities. And I can't read this priest's heart. Uh, I don't know what's really going on, but it's possible that there are some impurities in his own heart that he's projecting onto this work of art, and he's then projecting onto you. And if that's the case, you can offer that suffering in your own heart for His growth in purity. Mm. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. Hello, Christopher and Wendy. Thank you for the wonderful job you're doing with TOV. My fiancé and I are preparing for marriage. The topic of abortion is sensitive for both of us. I am pro-life in all circumstances. But she thinks there are certain cases where it should be allowed, especially because she was a victim of rape. Fortunately, she did not get pregnant. But since she's had this terrible experience, we struggle to talk about abortion. I would like to hear your thoughts on how Theology of the Body can help us. I usually go every year to the pro-life march, and as a Catholic man, I want to share this experience with my future wife. Dear brother, I can I can taste the the tenderness around this, the sensitivity required in navigating this. I understand why it's such a painful reality for your fiance because of her oh so tragic and painful 
experience of that terrible violation. I can also at the same time understand why this is a real difficult issue for you because you rightly understand the sacredness of human life in all situations and that two wrongs do not make a right. Uh, a, a woman who has been sexually violated, that is an absolute horror and travesty. But that new life that may be conceived of that travesty is innocent. And to, to accept that it could be acceptable to kill that new life is just adding insult to injury. It's adding a new evil to an existing evil. We think it's a solution to the pain uh, and the ongoing memory of the pain of that horror, but it's just adding another horror to the existing horror. And the fact that your fiancé doesn't see that at this stage of her journey, I'm sure, is a source of great pain and consternation for you. Brother, I don't know what to say to you other than to you are, you, you are being called. If you are indeed called to marry her, you are called to deep intercession for her in healing. Uh, that's what's going to be required here of you. Uh, although I, I have to say to you, and, and I do so with fear and trepidation, um, but I, I have to say I, I would talk to a priest about this because I don't even know, I, I don't even know if, if, if someone who thinks it is okay to kill a child in the womb, I don't know if this person is capacitated truly to enter the sacrament of marriage. Uh, and I think you should talk to your priest uh, and, and maybe even a canon lawyer about that. I, I've, in all the, I can't believe in all the years I've worked in this field that this question has not been presented to me before. But I, I would venture to say that someone who thinks it is acceptable to kill a life in the womb, I would venture to say that that would be a grounds a legitimate ground for annulment. Uh, I would I would urge you please to talk to a, a canon lawyer about that um, because it is it is very grave and I, I I recognize that you already recognize that it's serious and it does put a, a wedge of some kind between you and your fiance that is that really does need a proper attention. Mm. Yeah, I think our sense in in hearing this question is is definitely a. Uh, put on the brakes here. This is so important. And we can just commit to praying for you, affirming your heart in desiring to love and understand this woman, but also to hold on to and not compromise what you know to be the truth and that it is intimately related to your marriage because it is. Why don't we offer prayer for them right now? Yeah. Sweet Jesus, we, we lift up this couple to you. You know their hearts. Mm. Sweet Jesus, we lift up this woman who has been terribly violated and has caused a deep wound in her heart, mm -hmm. which is understandably fogging her thinking about the sacredness of every human life. And because of that pain, she is admitting some exception here to the dignity of life. As understandable as it is in her circumstance, there's a, a lack of clarity here. 
And we ask you, Lord, we ask you to minister to that wound in her life that has led to that fogginess. Mm. We have nothing but compassion, uh, mercy, and tenderness for that, that painful, painful wound in her history. We ask for the intercession of the saints. We ask for the intercession of St. Maria Goretti, uh, who knows that, that pain of, of a man wanting to violate her. And we ask you, Maria Gretti, please intercede for this woman that she would come to the same place of forgiveness towards that perpetrator. We ask for grace on, on this man that he would know how to love her, that he would know how to intercede for her. Uh, we ask that the right priest or canon lawyer would come into their life to, to shed proper light on this situation. And if this indeed may pose uh, an impediment to a valid marriage, uh, we ask, Lord, for peace in the midst of what is certainly a, a source of, of difficulty and consternation for this couple. And we ask that all of our listeners, could we just all make a commitment? We have thousands of listeners around the world. Mm. Could we in the next week just make a commitment to offer a certain sacrifice for this couple who are in a very, very difficult situation? Uh, and let's trust that that will bear fruit in their lives. Yes. We ask all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our next question is from a listener named Lucy. I teach morality to 10th graders at a Catholic school. I recently attended a Catholic education conference and went to a workshop where the presenter basically said teaching TOB was a waste of time. I emailed him about it, and this is what he said. I'm not against TOB, but I am skeptical of it working to keep teens chaste. I don't think in general classroom teaching can do that. I'm equally skeptical of chastity talks, however inspiring. For young people, sins of unchastity are largely crimes of opportunity. I've heard that most naughty behavior of this kind happens between 3 to 6 p.m. after school <laughs> oh, before parents return home. In my public school, the more students had long-term goals like college and career, the more likely they were to be chaste, regardless of religion. I suspect that is still true. TOB can be great for going deeper into Christian anth anthropology, which was John Paul II's primary intention. That's the end of the quote. And then Lucy asks, what are your thoughts on this? Lucy, I'm so glad you presented this question. Uh, I run into the same kind of attitudes and skepticism quite a bit. And here's what I want to say. If we turn the theology of the body into an it, right? What did that teacher say? I'm skeptical of it working, hmm. right? If we turn theology of the body into some kind of it, well, this teacher's right. It won't work. There's no it that is going to change a life, right? The gift of the theology of the body, the only gift of the theology of the body that matters is that it gets us in touch with a who. <laughs> and that who is the second person of the Trinity who took flesh. That's the very principle of theology of the body. It's the principle of the incarnation. And it's the principle that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, by taking on flesh, fully reveals what it means to be human. 
right, fully reveals to us why we are created male and female, fully reveals to us the meaning of our longings, these very longings that are getting these very same students he's talking about in trouble between 3 and 6 p.m. <laughs> what are those longings for? <laughs> those longings are to point us to the banquet of love that is what Scripture calls the wedding feast of the Lamb. Those longings we feel are to get us in touch with the person of Jesus Christ who holds out to us an invitation to the wedding feast, the wedding feast that truly corresponds to the depth of the hunger. <laughs> the theology of the body is not so much an it, it is an invitation to union with a who, and the who is Jesus Christ in the flesh. And if we are not holding that out to these children, then absolutely they're going to take their hunger to the fast food. And yes, I'm getting pissed off right now, <laughs> because this is such an injustice to these children. Such an injustice to, to the church, such an injustice to what John Paul II has given us. What has he given? And I'm getting all fired up because if John Paul II had not proclaimed this to me, mm. I would have continued to take my hunger to the fast food. And yeah, I got in a hell of a lot of trouble between 3 and 6 p.m. after school. I did. And you know why I did? Because I didn't know the banquet existed. I didn't know it was even a reality. And I wasn't interested in what I considered Christianity to be, which was a starvation diet for all these aches and hungers I had. So I'm taking my hunger to where I thought I could get it satisfied. If somebody had held out to me then that there is another way to see, there is another way to think, there is another way to experience that deep longing in my genitals, which is where it lodges when you're going through puberty, if somebody had held out to me that there's another way to experience this, that God had a plan for my life to prosper me and to give me hope and a future and to lead me into the glories of the banquet that the scripture calls the wedding feast of the Lamb, my life might have been different. And it's a terrible injustice for that guy, whoever he is, that teacher, to write this off as some inconsequential, not going to work thing. It's not some fad. It's the gospel. It's the invitation to the satisfaction of the deepest desires of our hearts. And how do we know that these young children are hungry for exactly what the theology of the body holds out? We know they're hungry precisely because they're taking their hungers to whatever they can get in their so-called naughty behavior that he, he's talking about in their afternoon activities. That very same desire has a home and the theology of the body is the invitation to find that home. And that guy is pissing me off. And <laughs> forgive me for, for going off here on this kind of tirade. I've never experienced this on a podcast. And I'm looking at my <laughs> wife who's giving me a look of, of, of love. But wow, you're, you're really taking this a different direction. But I, I don't know. It just pissed me off. It does. I, I You know, I read this question a few days ago and I've been feeling it too. So I don't mind that you uh, you shared that with our listeners. It's so true that there's a terrible, hurtful cynicism in that man's comments that, um, you know, is looking at kind of what works, what makes kids act the way they do. Well, you know what, that cynicism is coming from a place in his heart where he himself doesn't have a sense of the real graces that can work in our lives if we proclaim it to others and show them the way, you know, to experience those graces. If he himself doesn't have it, he's not able to share it. That's right. And so in in the sense that 
um, it's unfortunate that at a Catholic education conference, this person would be asked to present anything because that's not what Catholic education is yeah. for. That's, that's angering in itself. Yeah. And that, you know, that Lucy only kind of got the deeper picture by emailing later, but many people walked away from the conference without getting that deeper picture yeah. is also very sad. Lucy, thank you so much. Thank you, Lucy. And, uh, and forgive me if I, if, well, I'm just letting what's really going on in my heart show. Yeah. And maybe I should have had a little more self-control there, but man, it, it's so, these are real people mm. who, who are suffering, who are taking this hunger to, to the wrong place and and here's the solution to where they can really take their hunger. This is what theology of the body unfolds for us. It shows us where to take the hunger and to have some guy dismiss it by saying it doesn't work. Well, maybe the it that he's talking about is some truncated, uh, reduced version of this teaching that he's heard. And and this is just human nature. When Whenever something true, good, and beautiful is injected into the life of the church, there are going to be people who water it down, who don't understand it, who who treat it as a, a thang uh, rather than the great mystery that it is. Um, I get it, I get it, I get it. And, you know, to, to yeah, it's just part and parcel of of any great endeavor in the church. You're going to have people who don't understand it or put it in a box or or... It's too challenging for them, so they dismiss it, whatever it might be. I run into this all the time. I want to say, too, that in your own high school teaching in morality, yes, not that you learned theology of the body, but some seeds were yes. planted in yes. your heart, even though it, quote, didn't work right away. Right, that's amen. Seeds were planted that allowed you to open to grace, perhaps at a younger age yes, yes. than you would, than have would have otherwise. That's absolutely true. And I remember, I'm thinking of two high school teachers who taught religion, and one was cynical and jaded and didn't believe what the church believed, and basically gave carte blanche for the kids to follow their own consciences. And I loved her class <laughs> because I didn't want to listen to what the Catholic Church had to say. I wanted to follow my own conscience, and my conscience said, I'm hungry, and this girl will help me to satisfy my desires, right? And so that, that was my activity from 3 to 6 p.m. Uh, but there is another teacher. There was another teacher who believed what the church taught, yeah. gave his life to it, and did his best to communicate it to the kids. And he planted seeds, challenge. It was cha I didn't want to hear it. But he planted seeds in my heart that, that later grew and and led me to John Paul II's teaching. And I just want to give a shout out right now to Mr. Hayes, uh, who's now Dr. Hayes, for those seeds that he planted in my heart in 1986. Mm. And I want to lift up in prayer, I'm not going to name her, but this other religion teacher who is just so cynical, reminds me of this guy that you were quoting. Yeah. I lift them both up. They're wounded, they're, they're jaded, they're cynical. And and Lord, you know their hearts, you know their histories, you know their stories. Please, please minister to them in ways they need to be ministered to. And this pain that I feel in my own heart and this anger, maybe part of it's a righteous anger, fine and good. Another part of it's tapping some wound I have, I know, uh, that these people, these teachers have wounded, these kind of people have wounded me. Mm. And Lord, I open this pain that they've caused me right here, right now, 
and I give it to you. I place it in your wounded heart, Jesus, and I ask that your wounded heart would be an explosion of grace for them, for that teacher I had in high school, and for this teacher that is is cynical and is is causing this problem at this mm. this school. You know them, Lord. You love them, Lord. Please, please minister to them. Please kiss them in their tender places and lead them to the fullness of truth. Lead them to the mystery yes. that is revealed through your incarnation. That's what the theology of the body is all about. It's not some thing. It's, it's an invitation into the very heart and mystery of the incarnation. Thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. Thank you for St. John Paul II. Please, John Paul II, pray for these cynical teachers. Pray for them. Yes. Lord. Amen. Well, how about that? That never happened on a podcast episode. <laughs> that's okay. That's that's <laughs> going to bless someone, I know. I hope it blesses somebody. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of a... Jesus turning the tables in the temple that was coming out of me there. I don't know. Mm. Um, I also want to be open to looking at whatever's off in my own heart there. So I give that to you, Lord. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in again. And thanks for being our faithful listeners. If you're new to this podcast, we have almost 200 other episodes. So check them out and check out our YouTube channel. Um, We have all kinds of great stuff going on on our YouTube channel all the time. And submit a question. Keep the questions coming. We This podcast doesn't exist if people like you are not submitting questions. Yeah. And if you were blessed by anything that we shared today, uh, hit that share button and, and help us grow our ever-expanding audience of listeners. We'd be so grateful if you did. And may you know it in your bones that you are a gift. Become what you are. <laughs>